Hello and welcome back to Dinner, Drinks, and Death. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Erin. And tonight we are going to talk about the National Park serial killer. Ooh, nice. Yes. I'm excited about this one. And for our dinner, we have hamburgers, classic. And for our drink, we are drinking beer. Except I don't like beer, so I have Mike's. Cheat. Okay, but Mike's is technically beer. Is it, though? It is. The label says it's flavored beer. Okay, well, I cannot argue with the label. Exactly. You can't. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, let's get into it. So... Gary Michael Hilton was born November 26 in 1946. His childhood was rough. It wasn't the best. And he he wasn't born to an abusive household or anything. It was just kind of a tough life for him. He had a hard time. Aw. Oh, don't feel sorry for him. He was a terrible person. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) He was raised in Atlanta, Georgia. And actually stayed there for most of his life. Uh, later on, he he did move around and travel across the country. But we'll get into that later. Because it's important. I lost where I am. Yes. Uh, court documents state that as a child, he suffered a frontal lobe injury. Which is the part of the brain that you should never mess with. Uh, and I did some research. I'm not a brain scientist, but from what I found in, you know, the dictionary on Google, uh, the frontal lobe is a part of the cerebral cortex and is responsible for voluntary movement, expressive language, and it manages high-level executive functions. Yeah. And we aren't brain scientists, so we're going to leave it at that. That is interesting. So he damaged these things. Yes. And it will affect him. Clearly. 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 Sources state that this injury was from a Murphy bed falling onto his head. But these claims Mm -hmm. have never been verified or confirmed. And a Murphy bed, for those who don't know like me it's the one that it it like lays down like a normal bed but you can pick it up and push it like into the wall it just like flips back into the wall ouch how old was he um young (laughs) so you don't know (laughs) i don't know When he was just eight years old, though, his parents divorced and he moved with his mother to Florida, where she remarried just a year later. And he did not get along at all with his stepfather. And there are no confirmed reasons as to why he disliked his stepfather so much. However, rumors say it was because his stepfather would abuse his mother. Uh, That's a good reason. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, it's not a motive f- enough for what he did, though. He was, he was a bad person. Uh, as a kid, he was, you know, bright, intelligent. He got good grades. He had a high IQ. Normal, was just a serial killer. Yeah, I get. Yeah, 
Yeah, it actually. Mm, no, not all of them. He had a a high IQ, which is okay, but not all of them do. Ed Gain. Not all of them, but a lot of them do. Mm. Bad childhood, higher IQ. What I else? Guess. I guess. Anyways. A little awkward. Yeah, introverted. Socially awkward. Anyways, so high IQ, he was a smart kid despite having a tough childhood. As he got older, he started getting into trouble, and at age 14, he fired a shotgun at his stepfather. And I think perhaps this could corroborate the story of his stepfather abusing his mom, because... You know, he could have been acting in her defense to get the man to go away from her. Mm-hmm. Not that it's excusable. Like, we do not condone his actions. They were still bad. But it would um, explain. I just think, yeah, it, it could back that up, that claim that he hated his stepfather because his, the stepfather was abusive towards his mom. Uh, there are court documents stating Hilton's mother and stepfather were estranged at the time of the shooting incident. And that Gary was acting in his mother's defense to make the stepfather leave the house. Also in those documents, they say the stepfather held up a mattress and said, go ahead and shoot me. (laughs) Which, but like, why a mattress? (laughs) And like, how far into the house had he gone that he had quick access to a mattress? He was in somebody's bedroom at that point. Obviously. Like... Because where else do you keep a mattress? But, like, the- why, how, how did he get that far into the house? <laughs> like, go ahead, shoot me. Well, you're probably having some kind of argument. Who and... walks around while they're having an argument? Besides lawyers. Do lawyers walk around? Us? Yeah, they do. I feel like they do. I don't know. Moving anyway. on. Anyway. <laughs> the stepfather was wounded, but lived and did not press charges. He did, however, want Gary to be admitted to a psychiatric hospital following the incident. And during his stay there, he was never actually diagnosed with anything. There are sources claiming, though, that he is schizophrenic. And I actually found a court document where a Dr. Pritchard took the stand and was asked to talk about Hilton's mental health. In the document, it says, quote, The defense presented a mitigation case with four experts, and they all testified that Mr. Hilton, all three of the experts testified, there were, oh my gosh, there were three mental health experts and a pharmacologist who testified. I'm reading this straight from the document, by the way, so if it sounds weird, that's because the document is weird. Like, I'm reading it verbatim, just just so you know. Okay. And that's why it's, like, kind of repetitive is because they have to do that in, like, court stuff. Uh, Thank you for that clarification. (laughs) You're welcome. Because I was, like, I started reading it. I'm, like, wait, this doesn't make a lot of sense. Disclaimer. I (laughs) copied this, like, straight from that court document. Okay. So, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. The three mental health experts that Mr. uh, said that Mr. Hilton suffered from a brain injury and suffered from schizoaffective disorder and antisocial personality disorder. Uh, Later on, it also states that they said he suffered from frontal lobe injury, 
He suffered from schizoaffective disorder and antisocial disorder. So it kind of like lists that twice. Related to this, it is reported that Hilton was also on medication. And that same doc- the same court document states he was improperly treated with Ritalin and antidepressant Effexor, which in combination, evidently, those two medications can create psychotic symptoms. And this was when, like in the 50s, 60s? Um, I think this was during, like, the trial at the very end of it all. They were, like, pulling up old information, like, oh, yeah, he did this when he was a kid. So clearly he, you know, he was a bad person, which he was. He was a bad person. He did bad things. Okay. But they were, like, pulling it all out. And there's more stuff that, like, gets pulled out later. Um, I read through the rest of the document, and I'll continue to reference it throughout this episode. It's the official court document, and it covers a lot of what we'll talk about in this episode. And so a lot of it, sorry, while court documents claim schizophrenia, he was still never officially diagnosed by a mental health professional. All of his supposed diagnoses, all of these claims regarding his mental health cannot be supported. Just because they're not documented. Well, like they had all these health officials say like, oh yeah, he suffers from schizoaffective disorder. Oh, he has antisocial disorder. You know, he's this, he's that, but he was never officially, he was never officially diagnosed with it or treated. Yeah. He was never, it's, it was never officially said he has this. Okay. So it's just kind of a claim at this point. They're just claiming it, but it's, it can't be verified. Gotcha. Yes. At 17, Hilton enlisted in the army and was stationed in West Germany as part of the Davy Crockett Platoon. That's a funny word. (laughs) Platoon. 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 He also volunteered to be a paratrooper as he enjoyed flying. He even went to school to become a pilot and a flight instructor, but never completed his training. As a result, he started getting into a lot of legal trouble because that's that's the obvious next step, right? Like, oh, I can't make it as a pilot, so I'll be a criminal. Yeah. Like, how does one go from pilot to crime? So, like, how do those two dots? You have a bad childhood, some brain injury. You're in the army. You can't become a pilot like you want to. Why not be a criminal? I don't think it's because... I, it, like it doesn't say really why he stopped it just says he just stopped like he just stopped going to training I guess okay but yeah, he had a lot of charges for various crimes such as robbery theft assaults drug abuse DUIs well there you go <laughs> drug abuse <laughs> probably alcohol yeah probably this is like well, that's every, what DUI is. <laughs> that's like every serial killer's profile right here. Is it though? It's every, it's their life story. Ted Bundy. Don't, 
Don't quote me on that, but it's typical. I'm quoting you on that. Aaron <laughs> said this. Anyways. In... <laughs> Moving on from that. In his adult life, Hilton's, Hilton's friends described him as an avid outdoorsman. He loved being outside and would spend all of his time that he could outdoors. So to me, he kind of sounds like a hippie or a redneck at this point. Oh, come on. Like He's just a guy who likes to be outside. There's lots of people who like to be outside. Okay, but like for the time period, which I think might have been like the 70s. 60s, 70s. But that doesn't mean he's a hippie or a redneck just because he likes to be outside. That's a fair point. I don't know. Anyways, I don't remember what my thought process was at the time that I was doing these notes. To be fair. He's just a dude that likes nature, wants to be outside. That's he's true. Fine. He's That's fine. True. He's not fine, though. <laughs> he did a lot of really bad things. Well, I don't know about it yet. <laughs> well, let me tell you. Uh, he also, he had a dog named Bandy. I love, I love this dog. Uh, that he would take with him when he was outdoors. And at the same time, friends also described him as a pathological liar. He started lying about just random things that didn't really make sense to his friends. But he had friends. Friends. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Uh, uh, He told one friend that he had MS or multiple sclerosis uh, and only had six years left to live. So he wanted some attention. Yeah, he was an attention whore. Uh, He said that he was in his last year and wanted to live it in the woods. And he's still alive, by the way, like today. He's still alive today. And his claim of MS was never proven to be true. Ever. Uh, Hilton married and divorced three times. All three marriages were very short and he had no children from any of his three marriages. Uh, however, in one of his marriages to a woman in back in the 70s, she already had two kids from a previous marriage, by the way. Uh, she gave an interview later on where, like after everything, she gave an interview where she claimed Hilton sexually assaulted her kids. Nothing ever came of this. And in a court document, it is mentioned, quote, she testified to fraud- this fraudulent activity that this fraudulent activity went on with him, but she also said, and he sexually molested my children, end quote. So, like, nothing actually ever came of it. Nothing actually, no action was actually taken. But, but she she maintains that he did that, something to her, her kids. So maybe it's possible that his stepfather did something to him. I don't know. I feel like he wouldn't even let his... Because he hated that man. He wouldn't let the man get anywhere near him. Why did he hate him? Was it because he was trying something with him? Is it because he abused his mom? Or because the stepfather abused him? Yeah, exactly. now. Yeah. I never thought about that. Interesting. Interesting. Maybe. Maybe. We'll never know. We'd have to ask Gary himself. But, yeah, you said he was only, like, eight years old, so when he was really young. 
Yeah. He couldn't fight off his stepdad. That's a fair point. We don't know, but I mean, it could be a point. This is all speculation. <laughs> disclaimer. Blanket disclaimer. We didn't read this anywhere. We're just making <laughs> Aaron literally pulled this out of her ass today. We're just talking. <laughs> Moving on. Let's finish. <laughs> his first known victim is a woman named Cheryl Dunlap. She was born November 18th, 1961, in Tallahassee, Florida. She was married and had two, what's the word, fully grown up kids, (laughs) two grown children. Adult children. Yes. (laughs) I was like, what's the word for when you're grown all the way? Oh, wow. (laughs) Oh my gosh. She has two, she had two adult children. She was a nurse and a Sunday school teacher, would donate her time to helping with hurricane relief, regularly did missions around the world with her church, and she was just overall a really good person. Cheryl was last seen alive on December 1st, 2007. She had spoken to a friend that morning and was planning to go over to that friend's house for dinner. Uh, She decided to spend the day reading a book in a nearby park forest called Leon Sinks. That sounds wonderful. Right? Just like hanging out in nature, reading. Sounds relaxing. Leon Sinks, by the way, I did a little research of that uh, on my own. And uh, from the Leon Sinks, Forest website, the official website. Leon Sinks is located in the Apalachicola National Forest of Tallahassee. Leon Sinks is, sorry, the Leon Sinks Geological Area offers a delightful introduction to the wonders of karst topography. For those of you who don't know, like me, karst is a landscape that happens through deep erosion of a soft rock such as limestone and it leads the most it leads to the most unusual visual treats such as water flows into out of and through swiss cheese like holes that occur within karst much of florida's water like aquifers is within karst which means there is little to no filtration as groundwater seeps into the spongy limestone bedrock and starts flowing from point to point. Leon Sinks area is currently closed. And the last time I checked why, it, it said it was due to some of the walkways and bridges or boardwalks just being really, really old and they were kind of falling apart and were too dangerous to walk on so yeah that's some basic background information on the leon sinks area and all that fun stuff awesome yeah to recap she was last seen alive in the leon sinks area she was seen by this one couple vicky and michael shirley at around 1 30 p.m that day they later they later said she was wearing a casual outfit and had a book with her. 
she never arrived at her friend's house for dinner that evening. So, yeah. And no one was able to get a hold of her. And the next morning, she didn't go to church. She didn't arrive at Sunday school to teach. And so people are like, that's really out of character for her. So one of her friends, Tanya, decided to do a wellness check at Cheryl's home. Found nothing out of order. Everything was just looked fine. Uh, she did find her dog still at home, but her car, a white Toyota Camry. Remember that, because it's important. Okay, white Toyota Camry. Yes. Uh, the car was gone. The police were called, and on December 3rd, she was officially reported missing. That same day, her car was found along Crawfordville Highway near the woods. They searched the car, and... Excuse me, I have to yawn. Wow, are you boring yourself? (laughs) No, I'm just really tired. I'm really sleepy. Anyways, they searched her car, found her purse, but all of her money and cards were missing. That's not a good sign. Of course it's not a good sign. Immediately afterwards, police noticed all of the car's tires were going flat. And upon further investigation, they found that someone had taken an object, which was later determined to be a bayonet. And again, remember that, because that's an important fact. That's a bayonet. Odd. What? That's an odd tool. Isn't Why would you it have odd? a bayonet? I don't know. Like, those are the things that are attached to, or were attached to guns in the old days, right? Yeah, like a knife at the end. The big, sharp, stabby things. Yeah. But yeah, the point is, somebody had taken an object, which was later determined to be a bayonet, and had slashed her tires with it. The car had a parking ticket on the windshield dated for December 1st. So it was determined that the car had been purposefully driven out here, out there the couple days before, and that that person had never come back. Police checked her bank records and found that she had cashed a check in the drive-thru on December 1st at 11.17 a.m., which was before she had gone out to hike. Then her card had been used three times at the ATM to withdraw $700 after she was already missing. Hmm. So that's probably the limit of what you can withdraw. Probably. I don't know. I I think, doesn't it like depend on your bank? How much you can take out? It depends on your bank and probably how much you have in your bank account. Yeah, if you've got like $200 $200 in your account. You can't take out $700. They'll be like, listen, bam. Nice try. Like, it depends on, like, the type of bank account you have. True. Blah, blah, blah. So she's already missing. The attempts were made at Hancock Bank on December 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. So, on these three different days, after she was already missing, someone's using her card to withdraw a large amount of money there were also two declined withdrawals but that was because whoever was withdrawing money was hitting the limit for daily withdrawals looking at security footage it was not cheryl at the atm but a person wearing a blue and white shirt 
glasses, a hat, and a mask made out of tape. And I saw the photo. I looked it up. I remember I looked it up. And it looks kind of weird. It just looks almost, it, it does look kind of creepy. Kind it's pretty creepy. creepy. But also, like, what kind and from the picture, it's hard to determine this. Like, what kind of tape did he, like, did he stick it directly on his face? Or did he, like, put something down and then put the tape on top of it to make it stay? I mean, it's because that's like gonna, that's like bad for your skin. That's sticking to you to make sure know. it's not coming off. I don't know. I feel like that's just weird, though. But it's not Cheryl. No, it was absolutely not Cheryl. <laughs> uh, one thing that they noted is he was using the correct pin for the bank card. So, if you're missing and someone is using your pin number to access your bank account. First of all, they had to have gotten the pin number from the missing person because, you know, who else knows it? And if they have that, then what else do they have from you? Like they could have all of your other passwords and account information as well. Plus, you know, after you give them your pin number, they have it. They can just kill you. And get rid Don't of you. give anybody your PIN number because they're going to kill you anyway. Yeah, and that's what police had assumed had happened at that point. They assumed she was already dead. Uh, police staked out the bank the night of December 5th, but her card was never used again. Unfortunately, her body was discovered on December 15th by a hunter after he saw buzzards circling an area of the forest. She was found just off of a forest road in the Apalachicola National Forest, partially buried by tree branches and brush. When she was found, she was missing her hands and her head. Oh, whoa. Yeah. And I'm getting creeped out, so I gotta check behind me, make sure there's nobody <laughs> standing in my doorway, because I'm terrified. I really wish I was sitting, like, back up against the wall like I used to at my old apartment. I felt so safe. You should never have your back against uh, your back to a door. Well, I don't have a door. You have a doorway. Yeah, but it's not a door. Same thing. You walk through it. Walk through the doorway. You can't walk through a door. Doors are solid, man. Don't you know how doors work? Anyways. read i'm going to okay so she was missing her hands and both hands and her head eventually she was positively identified excuse me using thigh muscle samples the autopsy was performed by dr anthony clark he found a bruise located on cheryl's back which I'm sorry, I just heard a child scream and thought it was from my apartment. (laughs) I need a moment. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised if you heard that. That was really loud. I don't hear anything. Oh my god. (laughs) I'm terrified right now. (laughs) 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> my neighbors are very loud, evidently. I'm okay. Why do you I'm, look so terrified? I'm worried about you. Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate that. I think you might be going crazy. Don't say that. <laughs> no. It's just late and I'm tired. And there was a child out in the hallway of my apartment screaming. Sure there was. <laughs> Don't say that. That's even worse. Okay, get back to the story. Okay, so Dr. Anthony Clark, who did the autopsy, found a bruise located on Cheryl's back, which he said was inflicted while she was alive and was not consistent with an accidental fall. It's concluded that someone had hit her, and he estimated that she had been left exposed in the woods for about 7 to 15 days putting her death somewhere in the range of December 5th to December 8th. She was left alive? No, she was left dead. Like, she was killed sometime between December 5th and 8th. Was there for about 7 to 15 days because she was found on the 15th. Okay. Yeah. So, that's, that's the time range. It was found out later on in the investigation that she was kept alive for some period of time. Which, like, how did they determine that? Did they just, like, determine that from the autopsy? Or did he, like, confess to that? Maybe by the time, according to the time that she went missing and her death. I guess. I don't know. Anyways, Clark confirmed that her hands and her head had been removed post-mortem. Clark was unable to provide an official cause of death, but did label it as a violent homicide. Several people saw Hilton in the Leon Sinks area when Cheryl disappeared. On December 1st, a woman named Celeste actually saw Hilton at the Crawfordville Highway near where Cheryl's car had been found. She testified in court that she saw him looking through a parked white Toyota Camry. I remember a white Toyota Camry earlier in your story. Yeah. Cheryl drove one. Yes, she did. Yeah, she did. And it was found. It was found. (laughs) (laughs) On December 10th, Loretta Mayfield spoke to Hilton. She said he was wearing the blue and white shirt from the ATM security footage and that he had a large holster holding a big hunting knife on his belt. She stated that she saw him in a convenience store off of Crawfordville Highway. And on December 18th, which was after Cheryl's body had been found at another convenience store, this time in Bristol, Florida, Teresa Johnson saw Hilton. He walked up to her and told her, quote, Hey, you look like that girl, Cheryl Dunlap. It's too bad about that girl getting murdered, end quote. Which, like, if somebody walked up to me and said, Hey, you look like that dead girl that's on the news. I would be, I would call the police. I would cry. 
But she was missing. People didn't know that she was dead, right? Yeah, that was... No, no, no. This was after. This was December 18th. She was found on the 5th. It was three days later. Okay. Yeah, it was three days later. I'd be like, what the fuck? Would they have... Here's the thing, though. Because her body was found on the 15th. It's only three days later. Would police have a... Like, would police have released that information yet? That her body was found? Maybe. Yeah. Because, like, I know sometimes they'll, they'll, like, withhold information that only the killer would know, you know? Yeah. So I wonder if they would release it yet that they had found the body. I don't know. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. True. True. And also, what day was she positively identified? Like, did they get it done quickly after finding her? Did it take time? We don't know. I'm I'm asking you as, like, a discussion. I want you to participate, Erin. <laughs> Come on. I am participating. You're not participating I enough. I don't know. But, yeah. If somebody came up to me and was like, hey, you look like that dead girl on the news. I'd be like, what the fuck? Get away from me. <laughs> I would call the police. I'd be like, hey, this guy told me I look like a dead girl. You just, like, memorize what missing people look like. Exactly. Nobody does that. A car beeped outside and I just got <laughs> We shouldn't talk about murder late at night. Calm down. I am trying. <laughs> trying really hard. Anyways. <sighs> Later on in the investigation. Detective found what they believed. <laughs> Do you want to just, like, take over for me? You want to read my notes? <laughs> it's late at night and I have to yawn, okay? I was going to be professional and go on. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Later on in the investigation, detectives found what they believed to be the remains of Cheryl's hands and head in a campsite fire pit seven miles away from where her body was found. There's that energetic enough for you. <laughs> well, you wanted me to participate, so... Oh my god, I didn't mean to read my notes. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunately, these remains were so badly burned that no mitochondrial DNA could be recovered to identify them. Well, they did sound sarcastic. What? Calm down. I'm not being sarcastic. I'm just reading. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is my voice not pleasing for you? They did find that the remains were consistent with belonging to an adult with small hands. <laughs> That's how you were reading. Listen, I didn't even, first of all, I didn't read that sentence yet. So you don't know how I read it. Okay, go on. They what? did find that the remains were consistent with belonging <laughs> to an adult with small hands. Very good. Plus, you know, they found a dead body missing both hands and a head. And then, hey, look what they found. Two hands and a head. I what think it might thing? be a match. What? It might be a match. Oh, my God. I thought you were saying something's behind you can't cover your you can't just go like because oh, I'm gonna freak out 
my gosh. I'm fed up with you. I'm fed up with you. <laughs> I'm also fed up with me. <laughs> Witnesses had seen Hilton camping on a trail near that area at the same time as well. He was also given tickets for reported unlawful camping in the area. What? Nothing. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking. I heard noise from you. Anyways. After finding Cheryl's body and the burnt remains of her head and hands, Hilton apparently traveled to Georgia. Have fun. Okay. On New Year's Day, he struck again. Meredith Hope Emerson was only 24 years old when she was killed by Hilton. She was hiking Blood Mountain around 1 p.m. That's not ominous at all. Like... Blood Mountain. Blood Mountain. So, you know, when you go hiking, hike with a friend. Always. Plus, like, oh my, I'm 24. Well, I'm going to be 24. She was, I'm, like. Then you I'm go down. hiking? No. That's why I have a vitamin D deficiency. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't you go need outside. To get outside. I do go outside, though. I don't mean, like, walk to your car. Okay, I do more than that. (laughs) Anyways, uh, she had been hiking with her dog, a black lab named Ella. Um. And she was never seen alive again. Well, that's not good news. Well, what did you think was going to happen to her? (laughs) We're talking about murderers here. We thought she was going to have a good old time at the park. I mean, she did. It just didn't end well. Bummer. And for all, for anyone who is worried about the dog, like I was when I was researching this, the dog is fine. The dog ends up being okay. A little malnourished, but okay. But I'll cover that later. Okay. Just in case anybody was getting sad about the dog, because I know I did. Meredith Hope Enerson was born June 1st, 1983, in Charleston, North Carolina. She was raised in Holly Springs, North Carolina, and Longmont, Colorado. She graduated from the University of Georgia with a degree in French with honors, and even traveled abroad to France. So, like, that's pretty fucking cool. What can the night you before, do with a degree in French. What? What can you do with a degree in French? You can teach French language. You could probably go to, to France, teach English. I don't know. Okay. Be a linguist. Okay. The night before. Yeah. The night before, she was with her friends and her boyfriend celebrating because almost New Year's. Uh, Friends and family described her as highly experienced, as a highly experienced outdoorsman. She was extremely skilled and was able to hold her own on hikes and so forth. And she always brought her dog. She knew the trails. She was smart about it and was pretty much always safe about it. Always told people where she was going hiking and when, and also when she would be back. She was also a blue belt in martial arts. Nice. Yeah. I don't know 
what like the range of colors are, but I'm pretty sure it and it it starts with white. You go through the rainbow, and then it's like black. So she was like pretty high up on there, on that ranking. If I'm even right, I could be wrong. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so she was described as bright, bubbly person with a fantastic personality. She was very strong, very capable. You know, she knew what she was doing. She had last spoken to her boyfriend, Steve, at around 11 a.m. on the phone and told him that she was going to be hiking with her dog, Ella, and she would meet up with her. he would she would meet up with him later. Sorry. Uh, she had left around 11 a.m. Sorry, 11.10 a.m. to start the hike on Blood Mountain. And uh, later on, well, sorry, not later on, a man named Bill Clausen saw Meredith going up the trail on Blood Mountain and said that she was wearing a lavender jacket with black pants, which is important to remember. Okay. He also said at one point he saw a man walking with Meredith. Bill said he just took note of it because he, Bill, and Meredith had arrived in the parking lot at the same time, and he had seen that she was alone with her dog. And so this guy he sees with Meredith is holding a baton. That's another thing important. A baton? A baton. Okay. I remember when you originally was right, were writing this, you thought that it was a baton, like a cheerleading baton. <laughs> I did. I originally thought when I was going through the, when I was going through my notes, I originally thought that when they said he he had a baton, I was like, like a cheerleading <laughs> baton. He's out there. He's swirling. just got a random ass baton. With, like okay, weird flex, but okay. <laughs> It's not that kind of baton. It's not. It think like I guess police baton, like big. Yeah, like, something that big club kind. But yeah, I was imagining a cheerleading baton pretty much the entire time I was doing this these notes, and then you were like, "It's it's a police baton," <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, <laughs> I had no idea." Wow. Wow. So yeah, he has he has a baton. On the way down the trail, he saw the same Bill saw the same man, this time without Meredith. Mm, red flag. Red flag. The guy was staring at Bill and almost looked like he was trying to hide. Another man, Seth, was headed down the trail and found some items on the trail and was hoping it was he was bringing them to the trail office. He said that they looked like somebody had just dropped them while hiking. The items were dog treats, a collapsible police baton, a silver hair clip, sunglasses, and several water bottles. Bill said that he saw the man, Seth, walking down with those items and remembered the man that he had seen walking with Meredith had a baton like that like so the one that Seth is now carrying what Gary is not too bright to leave these items just laying around especially that baton yeah yeah um at around 1 p.m 
Steve called Meredith and wasn't able to get a reach her. He thought that she was still annoyed with him for because they had had a bit of an argument earlier that day or like the day before or something. Um, so he thought maybe she was just upset and just didn't want to talk to him. So he didn't think anything of it. But as the day went on, he became more worried. Her roommate was also becoming worried because Meredith had not returned from her hike the day before. The, the roommate, Julia, called Steve to see if he had heard from Meredith, but he didn't answer. Uh, then Meredith's work called the roommate and said that Meredith never showed up for work. Julia immediately called her parents and family friends and uh, reported Meredith as missing. And so they all pretty much immediately got together with this large group and went to go search for her. But it took them some time, however, to determine which mountain she'd been hiking on because she hadn't told anybody that day. That she would be. It was typical for her to tell people. Yeah, it was. Lives. Yeah, the name of the mountain and they think because she was upset with her boyfriend that's why like she didn't tell him mm-hmm. or something so she just didn't tell anyone that day so they didn't know where she would be hiking and after finally finding her car and what mountain it had been on they started searching for Meredith after just a few hours they called law enforcement for help and the US Forest Service joined as well However, the real search didn't start until the following morning because when they had all those people finally together to, like, start searching, by the time they finally found her stuff, what mountain she was on, where her car was parked, what area of the mountain she was on, by the time they finally found all that information and could start, it had gotten so late, it was so cold, so they're like, okay, we'll just come back tomorrow and start as soon as we can. They're losing time here. What? They're losing time here. Yeah, and so just to clarify the days, because I know it gets a little confusing. On New Year's Eve, she's with friends partying. On New Year's Day, she tells Steve and leaves a note for Julia that she's taking Ella, the dog, hiking. She's seen by a man named Bill on New Year's Day walking with some guy Mm -hmm. who then later sees that random guy again. And also sees another man carrying some stuff down the mountain to the trail office. And so, yeah, that's that's where we're at. Um, January 2nd, Meredith didn't come home. So Julia calls all these people. They find out she's missing. A search begins. And then the delayed is delayed. And so the actual search didn't start until January 3rd. That's just like for the timeline here. hours later. What? It's like 48 hours later, almost. Yeah, pretty much. Full two days later. And you know what? I think this is a good place to stop. And we can finish up next week. Sounds good. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Hello, and welcome back to Dinner, Drinks, and Death. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Erin. And this is part two of the National Park Serial Killer. And just to recap, our dinner from last week is a hamburger and our drink was a beer. Or if you don't like beer, you can drink Mike's. Yes, you can. Okay. (laughs)
So where we left off last time, uh, Meredith Hope Emerson went on a hike with her dog on January 1st and didn't come back. And so now it's two days later, January 3rd. On January 3rd, they discover that the items, which had been turned into the trail office, did in fact belong to Meredith. Officer John Kegel was in charge of the case, and he helped get the word out about witnesses seeing a strange man with Meredith on the day that she went hiking. All witnesses saw a tan dog with him, too. Hmm. I bet it was Ella. What? No. Ella was a black lab. Oh, my bad. (laughs) This is a tan dog. (laughs) Those are two different colors. (laughs) I bet it was a different dog. Okay. (laughs) The police opened a tip line and received a call from a man who said that based on the description police were giving out about the random trail guy, he thought he knew him. The caller was John Taper, and he said he once once worked with a guy named, you guessed it, Gary Michael Hilton. John said that he'd known Hilton for over a decade and that the description was exactly like him. I bet it was Dandy. Of course it was Dandy. (laughs) Why do you think I mentioned that Hilton had a dog? Named Dandy. Named Dandy. Because guess what John Taper told police? He told him that he had a tan dog named Dandy. Exactly. <laughs> he told police that Hilton had a tan dog named Dandy. Yeah. He also told them that Hilton drove a 2001 Chevy Astro van and even knew the license plate number and gave it to police. Okay. He said Hilton was an avid outdoorsman In New Blood Mountain, like the back of his hand. John also told police that Hilton would carry weapons on hikes. And that one of them... Was a baton. Was a collapsible baton. Shocker. Wow. He gave detectives all of Hilton's information. And the reason he had this information, by the way, is he was an employee. Like, Hilton worked for this guy, John Tabor. John Tabor was Hilton's employer. So that's why he had all the information on him, by the way. Rangers at the mountain even said that they had run into Hilton several times before. They received a photo of him, of Hilton, and gave it to all of the local media outlets. At this time, investigators from Tallahassee came to Georgia and and said that they were investigating the murder of a hiker in Florida. AKA Cheryl Dunlap. Mm-hmm. They noticed a lot of similarities between the two cases. Detectives from North Carolina were also calling because of similarities to a case there with two other missing hikers. So it's kind of all starting to come together now. All, the police in Georgia are getting all this information about Hilton. Detectives from Florida with a Cheryl case call in, and then detectives from North Carolina call in. So By this point, people had already heard of the Dunlap case, 
and they're now hearing about the Emerson case. But what the detectives hadn't heard about were the narrow North Carolina cases. I almost said Narolina. <laughs> the Narolina cases. Wow. And we'll get into the North Carolina, the Narolina cases now. <laughs> what if, what if that was the name? What if instead of calling North Carolina, it was Narolina and then South Carolina was Sarolina? No, I don't think so. But like, what if? That's not happening. I know it's not happening, but like, what? <laughs> it doesn't Anyways, make sense. You don't make sense. Thank On you. O- okay, whatever. <laughs> On October 21st, 2007, John and Irene Bryant, who were 80 and 84, respectively, went out on a hike in. Of course, respectively. You can't be 80 and 84 at the same time. I literally don't have a response for that. Do you really have to say that's what people say because you're you've listed two people and you've listed two ages. What age goes to what person? Who's well, eighty and say. who's eighty four? What do you have to say? Res- res- what you said? What? What do you have to say respectively? Because that's proper grammar. You're a teacher. But you know, you know. Yeah, I know, but the people that I'm telling this information to might not know. They might think that John was the older one and Irene was the younger one. They like they aren't. The listeners are not stupid. They know that it's in the order that you said their names in. Not everybody knows that. You don't have to be so mean about it. You're hurting my feelings. You don't care, do you? No. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) anyways they went out on a hike in the Pisgah National Forest in North Carolina they were avid hikers and outdoorsmen which like props to them being so old and still going on hikes every day they're fit they're old they're like 80 80 year olds can walk Barely. <laughs> Anyways, John had actually hiked the entire Appalachian Trail, and the two of them had been married for 58 years. Irene was a veterinarian and had opened her own practice after graduating from Washington State College, specializing in large animals. She was one of the first female vets in Montana history. Which, speaking of Washington State College, I wonder if she was in Washington near or around, like, the same time that Ted Bundy was active in Washington. I don't know. I don't know either. I just think that's interesting. Like, I wonder. You, like, bring everything back to Ted. I don't. But you kind of do. <laughs> okay, and you kind of bring everything that okay, we talk to you back on. to Dahmer. <laughs> Moving on. John and Irene hiked every week together, were in amazing shape, still traveled both domestically and internationally, 
and brought their kids with them. And they just both really liked being outdoors. They love nature. Police discovered that a 911 call had been attempted by Bryant's, one of the Bryant's phones, but the signal was so poor that the call failed. One of Irene's friends would call during their hikes to check up on them. Um, but on that specific day, the friend called and Irene never answered. Friends and family were so worried that one of their sons, who at that time lived in Austin, Texas, flew out to their house. He said that the home was undisturbed, but that all of their hiking gear was gone. He called the police. The next day, their car was found parked at the trail. And looking at bank records, it was discovered that their car had been used, their card, not their car, (laughs) (laughs) their card had been used to withdraw $300 on October 2nd at 7.35 at the People's Bank in Tennessee. A person who was clearly not either one of the Bryants was seen on the security footage. Do they have tape on their face? They were wearing a mask, probably made out of tape. (laughs) On November 9th, Irene's body was found covered in leaves off of the side of a trail. She was killed using blunt force to the back of her head, possibly from a baton. Her phone showed that she had tried to call 911 on October 20th. So here's here's kind of the timeline. The Bryant murders occurred... In October 2007, Dunlap was December 2007, and now the Emerson murder is January 2008. So that's kind of like the timeline for all those murders. And meanwhile, back in Georgia with the Emerson murder, police discovered that Meredith's bank cards were being used to withdraw funds from her account. The first use was January 1st at 7.05 p.m. Someone had attempted to use their card, her card, sorry, at the Appalachian Community Bank in Blairsville, Georgia, with the wrong pin. Then seven more attempts were made to get money just a couple hours later at a Bank of America in Gainesville, Georgia. Then another failed attempt was made at Regions Bank in Canton, Georgia. All of these were wrong pins. Investigators realized she was giving him the wrong pin on purpose, which, like, she's a fucking boss. She was just fucking with him, giving him the wrong number. And, like, because, like, you have to realize at some point, if you've been kidnapped and this person wants your bank info, after a certain point, after you give them that information, as soon as you give them that information, you're useless. They don't need you anymore. You're dead. And so she's thinking the longer she's able to stay alive and he keeps taking her with him, then because he would take the people with them to go try their pin number. So he's taking her with him each and every time. Uh, Maybe that the police will catch up to them and save her. Because as he's trying her PIN number and trying to take the money, um, like she's just trying to buy herself some time. Yeah, she was trying to buy herself time to have the police catch up. 
to him and help her. So she try she starts to realize that each time he goes to try her pin, he's got to drive further and further away and it'll give her time to try to escape or for the police to find her. Police said as soon as they realized that's what they were doing, they had unfortunately realized it too late and didn't get there in time. They found out that Hilton kept her alive for four days. If they were able to start their search earlier. Yeah. If they had been able to go exactly where she had been hiking that day, rather than searching for it, they might have been able to save her, I think. Mm -hmm. Hilton later said that he actually enjoyed talking to her while she was a hostage. Uh, Ella, by the way, was found alive. She had walked into a grocery store in Cummings, Georgia, 70 miles away from the trail. Hilton was starting to call people that he knew and asking for money. And he was asking them for money because he hadn't been able to get any from Meredith's account. The people he called were in turn calling the police and like, hey, he reached out to me. He wants money. He's here. Detectives were able to trace from the last person he called that he had called them from a payphone. The payphone was across the street from the store Ella walked into. Hmm, that's a coincidence. What a clinky dink, right? The gas clerks were able to confirm Hilton had been there and described him to detectives. They then saw him throwing trash from his van into the dumpster at the gas station. An APB was put out, and not long after, a call came in about a car matching the description of Hilton's and a man matching Hilton's description were seen at a car wash. The caller who saw Hilton asked the phone operator, quote, do you want me to grab him? End quote. (laughs) Which, like, fucking yeah, man, what a badass. Like, (laughs) you want me to grab him? I'll take him down for you. I'll get him for you. I'll hold him. What a boss. Uh, They told him no. (laughs) They're like, no, leave him alone. That's our dog. They're like, don't don't interact. Uh, But he did anyways. (laughs) He went and grabbed him. So, and he held on, he like held him there and had him be like, oh, you're going to wait here. They waited for police to show up. What a guy. (laughs) That's awesome. Meanwhile, police were looking through the dumpster and found a bag with Meredith's wallet, clothing, someone else's clothing that was soaked in blood, a parking ticket with Hilton's name on it, chains, a nylon rope, and nylon rope with blood on it. Hilton was taken into custody and read his own rights to himself. (laughs) Because, I, I don't know. I don't know. He's crazy. Inside the van, investigators found large blood stains in both the front and the back of the vehicle. They also found marks in the back seat that indicated someone had been leaning against it. After taking Hilton into custody, the U.S. Attorney's Office in North Carolina and investigators from the Leon County Sheriff's Office in Tallahassee and the Behavioral Science Unit from the FBI in Quantico. All of these 
people, all these groups were getting together. They all were attending a meeting at the Georgia office so that they could come together and share the information that they each had on their cases. They told Hilton the death penalty was off the table in Georgia if he would tell them where Meredith was. He confessed and told them that he kept her alive for four days, but that they would find her dead in the Dawson, in the Dawson forest under a pile of leaves. He told them her head would be missing. When asked where her head was, he said, quote, I should mention there's clothing there too. Put a dog on it and you'll come up with it like that. I apologize to both of you guys. It's been trying for you. I'm sure these cases are emotionally wrenching, but that's your damn job. End quote. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Investigators went out to where Hilton said Meredith's body would be. They remarked that the scene smelled like bleach and that a nearby tree had blood on it. He had come out. He had to, they had to bring him out, by the way. To, because to show them where he put the head because they couldn't find it. Like, I don't know where her head is. Um, this was all only a week after she had been reported missing. Her autopsy showed that she was killed by blunt force trauma to the head and had been decapitated post-mortem as with Cheryl Dunlap. Mm. On January 28, 2008, Hilton pleaded guilty to Emerson's murder. And her dad said... He said some words to Hilton, which paraphrase to bro, I hope they fuck you up in prison, pretty much. <laughs> he did not hold back. Uh, Hilton was sentenced to life for Emerson's murder and was later linked to the murder of the Bryans when DNA taken from their kids was matched to blood found in the back of Hilton's van. The blood was John's. Which, by the way, at this point, by this point, they still hadn't found John's body. They had found Irene, Cheryl, and Meredith, but they hadn't found John. So what happened to John? Well, on February 5th, 2008, skeletal remains were found in Macon County, North Carolina, by a hunter. They were identified through DNA to be John's remains. He was found, like, what is it? October, November, December. Five months later. Five whole months. They're always found by hunters. Well, yeah, because who else would willingly go out into a forest? Besides hikers. Hikers are the ones getting killed right now. (laughs) So, like... You're not going to mess with a hunter because they have a gun. Yeah. Pew pew. Listen, man. Back up. Anyways. (laughs) Investigators asked Hilton why John had been so found so far away. And he told them he actually killed Irene first and took John into the van. Hilton then took John to the Nantahala National Forest where he shot him in the head. Hilton also said he used intimidation and had tortured John to get the bank pin. Investigators were also able to find a bayonet belonging to Hilton, that, which and they found it on Blood Mountain, and 
it matched the bayonet that had been used to slash the tires in the Dunlap case. They also found that blood on Hilton's shoelaces matched DNA from Cheryl's toothbrush. But John gave him the wrong pin, even though he tortured him. No, John gave them the right pin. Meredith kept giving the wrong pin. Oh. Yeah. Anyways. On February 28th, Hilton was indicted for Cheryl Dunlap's murder. During the five-hour drive from Georgia to Tallahassee, Hilton was recorded, and there's footage of him saying, quote, I'm not all bad. I mean, you gotta understand. I mean, I mean, I'm a fucking genius, man. I'm not a, I'm not all bad. I just, you know, lost my mind for a little bit. Lost a grip on myself, man. What can I tell you? FBI and everybody else is just trying to scratch your head. Hey, guys, don't get started doing my shit at 61 years old. It just don't happen, you know? Like, there's a retired FBI indecipherable named Cliff Van, Clifford Van Zant, that just keeps getting himself in the news talking about me. And he said, this guy didn't even fall off the turnip truck, he said. You know, in other words, he's been doing this. But like I told you before, you know, when I saw you before, I said, remember, I said, I'm not giving you one for free. Nothing before September, okay? I mean, I'm not joking, okay? I just... I got old and sick and couldn't make a living and just lost it. Flat lost my fucking mind for a while, man. I couldn't get a grip on it, end quote. And he, like, kept going on. Like, he kept talking and rambling. I couldn't get a job, so I had to get money somehow, so I just killed people. That's what he's saying. Yeah. You know, man? Like, I mean, Yeah. In the court document I found, it says, quote, I didn't start hunting until September. When I saw you before, I said, remember that I'll give you one for free. Nothing before September, end quote. Continuing on with that same court document, um, as far as the guilt phase is concerned, the argument is that, quote, I didn't start hunting until September, end quote, implies other crimes before the one in September. Or sorry, before the one in December. So he definitely killed more people, but there are cases that while they aren't officially linked to him at the moment, they are of similar MO, which is, you know, they were beheaded, they were hikers, etc. In 2011, Hilton was sentenced to death for Dunlap's murder. Afterwards, he was overheard in jail by an officer saying he only regretted getting caught and if he could do it again, he'd do it right. He also mentioned he spent a couple days with Cheryl alive. In June 2011, Hilton was indicted for kidnapping, robbery, and the murder of John and Irene Bryant. He confessed to killing Irene and, in 2012, pleaded guilty to the murders of the Bryants. Hilton was sentenced to four life sentences without the possibility of parole in North Carolina. 
and on April 25th, this was on April 25th, 2013. Hilton is still currently on death row and is thought to have killed much more than four people. A judge delayed one of his appeals from the U.S. Supreme Court in 2016, which declared Florida's death penalty law unconstitutional. And that is the story of the National Park serial killer. And he's still alive. Yeah, he's still alive. He's still on death row. Just chilling. Bragging Mm. about what he did. And, like, basically showing no remorse. He's like, I'll do it again. That's terrible. Yeah, he's a bad guy. He's not a nice person. No. No. He didn't start hunting until he retired. Pretty much. Okay, well. He retired, and then he was like, you know what? I need a hobby. (laughs) I'm gonna go. I'm gonna kill. Murder is not a hobby, folks. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't murder people. That's bad. Well, that was an interesting case. It was. 